everyone, welcome back to another episode of my weekly show, Almost Weekly. I have to say that last week I was so busy that I just couldn't squeeze it in, but I'll make it up to you with a full-fledged, lock-and-loaded show with tons of things to talk about. As always, this episode is brought to you thanks to my patrons, and I've got a whole bunch of recent patrons that I want to quickly mention here to uh, thank them for their ongoing support. If you want to join that community, that growing community of patrons, and help me to build these shows and do the masses on Sunday, and um, currently on my wish list, I have uh, new lights because I'm finally in the in my let's say, my more definitive uh, studio setup. But what I still don't have are proper lights for um, uh, for the camera here on for, for everything that I'm streaming. So I'm eyeing these Elgato lights, these key lights, but they're pretty expensive. They're 200 bucks a piece, and I think I need two. So um, that is why <laughs> I hope that you want to support me and help me sometimes procure... Uh, uh, material like this. Everything you see and hear has been made possible thanks to my patrons. So a big thank you to Agnes or Agnes, uh, HM or AM Spence, I should say, Andrew, Carlos, Car- Carol, John, Joseph, Laura, Matt, Melissa, Nadine, Oliver, Patty, Paul, Roel, Rob, Robert, and another Robert and Sandra, and Sean, and Sebastian, and Stephanie, Stefan, Suzanne, Teresa, Thomas, and Vanessa. Thank you so much. I'm not using your last names because of, you know, privacy uh, reasons, but you know who you are. You know that you're a patron, and um, as a thank you, I I record uh, another show which is very similar to this one, but totally different topics. At the end of this episode, I will mention the things that I will talk about uh, this week in uh, Father Roderick to the Max. So that is one perk that I uh, give you in return for your ongoing support, and that is a, a little little uh, extra hour to, uh, to listen to uh, if you want. All right, let's uh, get going. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. Well, it's been uh, a bit of a sad couple of weeks because of um, uh, people from the movie industry, or that we know from the movies, uh, died, unfortunately. Um, First, it was Ian Holm, um, an actor that I know from several of my favorite movies, of course, his most recent work, or I think it's one of the last movies that he actually played in, was The Hobbit. He was already uh, at an advanced age when he uh, shot the scenes for that, so they were shot on green screen. He never went back to the set in Matamata, which he did for The Lord of the Rings, but they used a stand-in actor, but everything else was filmed in a uh, set, I I suppose, in in London, somewhere in the studios there. and he already had, I think, he was already suffering from uh, Parkinson's disease, which ultimately was the reason uh, of his death. Um, but of course, he wasn't only known for his contribution to the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit saga. Uh, the first time that I saw him in a movie was in the movie Alien, which I saw in theaters, but it was a long time ago. I don't even remember. Maybe I was still in high school or 
or perhaps already in seminary, I'm not sure. Um, but he was that that droid, that android. Uh, and it's a huge reveal. Hopefully I'm not spoiling it for anyone who hasn't seen the movie yet, but hey, it's an old movie. Um, but he's, he's one of the more likable characters uh, in the movie Alien. And then it, towards the end, it turns out that he wasn't human at all. He was actually an android. Um, a, a very memorable role. I still see that scene with the, you know, the prosthetics and you have this, this white kind of milky blood that spills out of his severed head. And, uh, you know, even androids became victims of that horrible monster on board. Uh, the Nostromo, I think, was the Nostromo. Um, so uh, and that, that was the first time that I saw him on screen. Uh, but he also plays a role that is maybe not as, as well-known. Um, he, he plays the, a trainer uh, in Chariots of Fire, which is an excellent movie from, I think, 1980 or something like that, 1981. Um, and he is uh, also a, a pretty important character in a very funny, um, very weird, but also delightful science fiction movie called The Fifth Element, where he plays Father Vito Cornelius, some kind of monk-slash-priest-like figure who tries to protect the universe against evil, and in order to do that, he needs the four elements and the fifth one that is bringing them all together and um he um he's great in that movie as well very very different from his other roles so he will be uh, definitely missed i'm i'm so glad that they could bring him back for the hobbit uh even though you could tell that they uh used a lot of um probably prosthetics and uh and makeup and maybe even some digital wizardry to make him look kind of the same age as uh, the Bilbo that we knew from The Lord of the Rings, which, of course, was filmed, I don't know, 15 years earlier, maybe even longer. Um, so you could still tell that they had, you know, touched him up a little bit. But his voice was the same, and it was just great to see him. Um, yeah, it was just wonderful that they could film a prequel with actors many years after they filmed the actual sequel, <laughs> The Lord of the Rings. Also, uh, just recently died Ennio Morricone, the most famous film composer, I think, next to John Williams. Uh, and um, he actually has been around <laughs> making film music even longer than, than John Williams. A very kind, uh, religious man, a, a very uh, uh, faithful Catholic, or at least a very convinced Catholic, uh, who also in his... Um, you know, later years uh, found a lot of uh, solace in in his faith. Um, what didn't this guy compose? I mean, all the famous movie themes for as long as I've been to the movies, um, he was just a staple uh, of of the of the the Hollywood box offices, from the theme in um, uh, The Godfather to uh, some of these westerns. Um, my favorite music, and I'm pretty sure I'm not alone, is the soundtrack that he created for the movie The Mission with uh, Jeremy Irons. Um, that That is the first time that I cried because of the music in a movie. Uh, the, the music was so 
intense and unlike anything I'd ever heard before in combination with a very raw um, emotional story. Uh, I remember seeing this movie when I was in seminary and hearing that music, it, it literally helped me to, to, it strengthened my vocation. I wanted to be a missionary. I wanted to be, um, I don't know, just giving my life to Christ and, uh, and even risking my life for Christ if necessary. And, and it was this combination of, of, of a great story, amazing cinematography, and this, um, this heavenly music, um, the uh, the mission theme, you know, with the oboe, uh, is is one of the most beautiful pieces of music ever written. So, again, uh, someone who will be greatly missed. And since we're already talking about the world of movies and TV shows, it is a very easy segue to uh, the section of my show that is dedicated to movies and TV shows. This time I won't be talking about uh, uh, about movies, uh, theater movies, theatrical releases, but of a number of um, TV shows that I saw on Netflix and maybe you two want to check them out because, well, I think they were pretty interesting. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. So this week, the news broke that they had finally traced and arrested Ghislaine Maxwell, um, the associate of uh, Jeffrey Epstein, convicted uh, pedophile and abuser who died in um, the uh, in, in in prison before he got judged uh, or sentenced um, of an apparent suicide. Um, the uh, accomplice or Ghislaine Maxwell uh, was the daughter of the of the the very well-known Maxwell media mogul from the UK um, is uh, is uh, accused of having helped Jeffrey trace down or find victims and uh, also to facilitate the abuse um, in a very insidious way. I've watched the documentary series on Netflix uh, called Filthy Rich and it chronicles the... Um, the story of the victims that have come forward uh, of of the abuse by Jeffrey Epstein, and it uh, also gives a, a very good, interesting, informative backdrop of how this guy got to where he was and and amassed the power um, and the wealth that made him think that he was invincible, that he that no one could catch him. Um, until, of course, reality kicked in, and he did get caught. And uh, um, he, uh, w- once he was imprisoned, um, many new victims came forward, and you hear a lot of their stories in this documentary series. It is a very difficult series to watch. Um, the descriptions are very graphic, because the abuse was very graphic. And you, when you see these 
these women that are coming forward and uh, telling their their stories, you constantly have to keep in mind that when they were abused, they were as young as 13 years old, 14, 15. Um, now they're women whose lives have been tainted and in some cases even almost destroyed by the abuse that took place over many years. And... Um, Epstein ha- was a serial abuser. Um, he abused maybe hundreds and hundreds of girls, only a fraction of which have come forward to tell their story. Um, and Ghislaine Maxwell um, played uh, both the role of the recruiter, so she she was looking for uh, vulnerable girls. Often they tried to find uh, girls and children that were already in a uh, difficult situation or had been abused before. And um, and this is something that you often see in these uh, abuser stories, that they have this almost evil sense of, of finding the most vulnerable uh, victims and to hurt them even more, as if their pain wasn't enough. And um, Ghislaine, being a woman, also uh, facilitated uh, the abuse by uh, making the girls at first feel at ease. You know, what can go wrong? There's this woman here who's clearly, you know, uh, this Epstein's girlfriend, and then she initiated the abuse, which kind of creates this psychological weird you know closed environment where where and if you hear the stories it is it is unimaginable how how uh, clever this whole scheme was set up to break down the resistance to change to make everything shift in terms of morality and then they would even enlist girls to so the victims to find out other victims that is even even more evil so you turn victims into perpetrators or at least accomplices and that made them because they were accomplice uh, accomplices of of Epstein made made it even harder for them to go to the police and tell what happened so um it is I mean, it's mind-boggling what what evil happened and how much apparently power and wealth can completely pervert people. What makes the whole situation even more uh, explosive is that Epstein made a lot of friends in powerful circles, um, uh, from Bill Clinton to Donald Trump to uh, Prince, uh, what's his name, from the UK, uh, uh, millionaires, uh, business people, lawyers. Um, th- th- there were so many people that he that were, I think, blinded by his by his wealth, by his his the character that he played of being this very kind, benevolent man, you know, surely he can't do anything wrong. Um, and, and of course, the big question is, how much did these people know? How, uh, 
we've heard all the stories from, you know, a guy like Kevin Spacey. And the, this whole uh, uh, avalanche of accusations that, uh, that ended his film career and his TV career. Um, he was a good friend, a personal friend of Jeffrey Epstein for years. And this is the case also for, uh, for, for, for many other wealthy, powerful people and people are, that are in the limelight. So um, it's going to be interesting to see what Ghislaine will, will tell if she will uh, uh, collaborate with the FBI and maybe uh, tell her side of the story or, or maybe um, try to strike a deal, uh, you know, reduce her sentence for information, things like that. Um, whatever the... The, the the legal process will be uh, what you can't what you can't repair is the damage that has been done to so many women and I'm I'm thinking mostly of the women that have not dared to come forward or maybe who who killed themselves or you know live in shame and uh, have to carry that the weight of of uh, uh, of the abuse all by themselves I hope that this new arrest which is in, in many ways um uh for the victims very important because epstein is dead and they cannot face him anymore uh i, I remember and, and it's also shown in the documentary in the final episode that the judge actually allowed these women to still tell their story after epstein died which is kind of very uncommon uh, because someone who is dead, you can't judge him anymore. You can't hear him. Uh, but he made room for the story, uh, for the stories of these of these uh, young women, um, which was already uh, uh, a huge consolation for some and a, a moment where they felt empowered. Um, I hope that this process uh, of Ghislaine Maxwell will give the um, the remaining victims another occasion to come forward and to seek help, and to find support, um, but that it may also maybe lead to another confrontation in front of a judge with the victims and this accomplice. And in certain ways also, uh, not just an accomplice, as someone who initiated the abuse, who was uh, participating just as much as, as Jeffrey Epstein in, this, uh, horrible in these horrible crimes. But uh, a very interesting, um, albeit shocking, and dark documentary, but very well done, with limited means, of course, because the only stories that they could tell uh, were the stories of the victims, the most important stories, but visually, of course, they did have a little bit of material uh, and photos uh, with, with Jeffrey Epstein, but, of course, they couldn't interview many people that you know, were, were, were part of that inner circle of Epstein, because no one, of course, wants to be on TV associated with this guy. Um, but nevertheless, I think they did a, a very good job, and maybe they they will make another episode once the the um, the story uh, develops. <laughs> but it was it's interesting that this this uh, series um, premiered on Netflix. So you know, and and that just a few weeks later, they finally found Ghislaine Maxwell and arrested her. 
The second thing that I watched, the second series, uh, I'm, I'm still watching it uh, on Netflix, is the series called Transfers. It is a science fiction drama um, made in France with French actors. It is... Um, It's pretty well done. It's very well acted. It tells uh, uh, the story of a future where people can switch bodies. Uh, so it's the kind of the the idea that you also see in the Matrix, where you know you can. But in the Matrix, it's in a virtual world, um, but you can just you know take any shape or form. Um, they can transplant your memories and your. Uh, your identity in in whatever virtual body you see it with um um the uh the movie blade runner or the the universe of blade runner where uh, a lot of the the clones are programmed pre-programmed with false memories just to give them a sense of identity and a personality but it's not theirs uh, here it's even worse you can just Uh, if you're rich, you can pick any body you like. So you may be 85 years old and suffering of all sorts of diseases, but you can just, you know, take out your your identity, your soul, maybe. Although the series doesn't go into metaphysics, but whatever you know is your your core programming, and just put it in a, in a younger body, and then live another hundred years. Um, the poor are not so lucky. Uh, they get assigned um, new bodies. And so uh, there are some harrowing scenes in the beginning where you see that a child, I think, was about to die from a disease. And then the government just planted her identity into the body of an old lady. And so you see these parents facing this girl in, in the body of, a, of an 80-year-old. And they're distraught. And there's like there's, it feels so wrong. And so there is a, a lot of um, societal backlash against this process of, of transferring to other bodies. It is also um, uh, illegal in, in some situations. And, uh, and then there is, you know, murder and mayhem and uh, there is a detective story. Um, it's a very interesting concept. It's, it's very well executed. The gripe that I have with this series is the way in which the Catholic Church is depicted because um, in the, in the world of the of, of the of the series um, the Catholic Church has uh, gone completely almost completely digital so instead of going to a church and seeing a priest you just uh, click a button on your screen and you press the confession uh, button and then a good-looking, you know, Hollywood-like priest uh, with a glowing uh, uh, Roman color, uh, you know, all uh, fancy, um, appears in the middle of your screen, and I will now hear your confession. And it has a bit of a, a um, Max Headroom vibe to it. It's like, is this a real person, or is, just, is this a digital recreation of a priest? And then the confession that they film is so immoral and the priest gives such bad advice and just you know it's like ah this is so the opposite of what what a priest should say in this situation and basically just goes along with the with the sins of the person and affirming that person so it's almost as if confession has turned into some kind of uh psychological affirmation uh exercise instead of 
you confronting your sins and asking for forgiveness and making amends and uh, having the firm d determination to not sin again. In this case, it's the priest that's just, well, well go ahead, you did the right thing. And she, no, she did not. <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy. And it's, a, it's, a, it's really a caricature, and you wonder, are they serious? Is, is this, it, it looks so ignorant, the way they portray priests. And it's so cliche, but in the worst way imaginable. It's like it sounds, feels like lazy writing. It's like there's just, you could just completely get, uh, take out the religious element, and it, you know, it doesn't add anything to the story other than, you know, making making the Catholic Church look ridiculous. And well, if you need, sometimes people ask me in the chat, why doesn't the church allow? Uh, long-distance confession. Why can't I just have a Skype call with a priest? Well, watch this series, and you'll know why. You'll know why the Catholic Church will never allow that and will insist that confession is to be a personal meeting with a priest and is a physical event. And, and uh, you know, digital forms, e even though they may be very well-intentioned, but they could lead to... Uh, to very terrible situations. Not to mention, of course, uh, one of the most important reasons is the protection of the person who wants to confess, the protection of, of the privacy, the safety that is necessary, is actually essential, the secrecy of the, um, the seal of confession is essential to the process. If you could have the idea that maybe someone is listening in, or, you know, like, what, the things that we currently witness in, with social media, with, you know, TikTok, uh, the, all the security problems with TikTok and, and, and it leaking information to China, um, uh, all these, these big companies, Facebook, Google, gathering the incredibly detailed information, know more about you than your own mom and dad, uh, and maybe know more about you than you know about yourself. Uh, all this is... Uh, I think a very good reason for the church to be extremely careful with uh, uh, allowing um, confession to take place digitally because if you're not safe, how can you truly reveal your heart? It is You, you make yourself, during the sacrament of confession, incredibly vulnerable. So the priest needs to be a defensor, needs to be a knight, and needs to, to protect it at, with his life, priests would give their life to protect the seal of secrecy of confession because, because of the person confessing, because you want to protect the dignity um, of, and the integrity of the people that are seeking forgiveness and make themselves vulnerable in the process. Anyway... Yeah, for, and then of course there are some uh, some adult scenes in there. Um, there is a uh, scene. I think it's in the third episode. Yeah, mm, not for everyone. Anyway, and then finally something totally different. I started watching the last Airbender animated series again. Um, I've got the Blu-ray box which is amazing because they uh for for many years you could only get the series on dvd and uh i think the episodes were aired in four by three uh but they were 
sampled in a very low resolution. Even for a DVD, it looked very blurry and uh, did really did not do justice to the quality of the animation and the colors and everything. So they issued a couple of years ago a Blu-ray box, and the quality is uh, uh, is amazing. It's a, a difference of day and night with the old DVD version. On Netflix, they still have the low resolution, the DVD uh, SD version. Uh, although I've heard that in the United States, they've already switched to the Blu-ray quality, or at least the HD version. Um, I'm watching it on Blu-ray, and this is the first time that I finally got beyond the first three episodes. For some reason, I never followed through. I, I got stuck somewhere at the end of the second episode. Um, and I don't know why. I just, the story didn't grab me that much. Um, and But now I'm, I'm so totally in it. And it is amazing. It's such a great series. And of course, you know that uh, they are working on a uh, live action version of the series with the original uh, creators involved. So this is going to be very different from the super disappointing movie one of the worst movies ever. The Last Airbender, don't watch that movie. It is so lackluster in, in almost every aspect. Um, but hopefully the, the, the real-life action series will be, will be good quality. They can't disappoint the fans another time. Um, but the, the animated series is amazing. And lo and behold, I was watching the, the end credits of the episodes, which I always do on... Uh, on Blu-ray, and I noticed that a couple of episodes, uh, the first and the second episode, and then some other episodes of the first season, have been directed by none other than the great Dave Filoni, that we all know from Star Wars, The Clone Wars. Dave Filoni is um, a master storyteller, and I only knew him from Star Wars. And it turns out that he even did a lot of... Uh, um, pre-production work for Avatar The Last Airbender. So he's been um, very actively involved in, in this series, which I had no idea. But you can see the master's hand, and one of the reasons that that series is so good is probably because people like him being involved. So a huge thumbs up for The Last Airbender so far. I can't wait to see where they will take season two and three. From what I've heard, it's even going to be better than season one. <laughs> Catholics rock! Here at the Peculiar Bunch, we're always happy to tell you everything you always wanted to know about Catholics, but you were afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? Today I want to answer a question that was asked in the Discord uh, community, which is available to all those of you that are supporting me through Patreon. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. So in case you didn't know, um, my if you become a patron, um, and that starts at, uh, I think, two and a half dollars per month or something like that you get automatically access to a discord server which is a 
kind of a community app, uh, which is amazing. And it's used a lot in YouTube for YouTube communities, for uh, streamers, gamers. Um, it's free. You can just install the client and, uh, and join small communities. It's very different from WhatsApp or Messenger or even uh, applications like Slack. It's much more um, multimedia oriented you can even if you have a channel yourself you can stream straight to your uh, discord community and um when i heard about it it was um the patreon offered a, a very easy integration with the discord system so that if someone becomes a patron automatically gets access to the the, the discord server community um uh, Samuel <clears throat> Samuel Varg from Sweden has recorded a short uh, um, how-to for those of you that are already patrons and haven't figured out how to get access to the Discord server. And in my show, Father Roderick to the Max, which I record for my patrons, I will play that uh, little audio tutorial, uh, which makes it really easy to join. What one of the one of the things that I like about the Discord community is that we have various sections. So we we can talk about Star Wars, or we can talk about faith, uh, we can talk about uh, games, uh, general chat. Uh, there and and we can create even more you know, like sub sub uh, topics um, in that community. And 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 so there is a faith section where I ask uh, my my. Uh, patrons, if, if they have a question for the Peculiar Bunch, then they can type it there and I can read through it and, and try to answer those questions. So uh, a very interesting question that came about in the, in the faith uh, section was, what about yoga? Um, and let me see if I can find the, the specific uh, uh, question that was asked. Um, it was asked by Jessica, and she writes, I came across a BBC News item on the Greek Orthodox Church's stand on yoga. Um, and the, according to this BBC item, the Greek Church advises Christians to shun yoga. The Orthodox Synod made uh, the ruling after Greeks were encouraged to practice yoga during quarantine. So this was... You know, the Orthodox Synod um, kind of pushing back to this, this uh, um, I suppose, um, advice that was given, I don't know, maybe by the government in Greece or something like that. They said, no, don't do it, it's dangerous. Now, Jessica wants to know, should I rethink my yoga practice, which I use for mental and physical health and not for religious purposes? Um Old RPGer says, I read a bit on this. As you would expect, there are a spectrum of opinions. Um, Samuel said, uh, just body positions and breathing methods cannot be bad by themselves. Um, uh, old RPGer writes, I think Samuel is right. As long as the practice is not religious, you should be okay. That's my opinion as a layman, not as a theologian. I think a lot of people fear the practice could lead one away from the church to Eastern religion. I don't see it like that. Um, then Samuel mentions that in Sweden there is a Christianized version of yoga called tikva, where all the Eastern religious words and phrases have been exchanged for Bible quotes and words for God. Instead of bowing to the sun, you bow to God, who is the source of all light, etc. Um, so 
the uh, the distinction that is made by the people in in the in uh, on Discord is the the right one. Yes, yoga involves a lot of physical techniques and postures and breathing techniques. And all that, of course, in itself cannot do you any harm. On the contrary, it may help you calm down. You may have some clear benefits, mental benefits, physical benefits from, from practicing these yoga stances. But what many people in the Western world don't, don't understand is that yoga in the Oriental uh, world is intrins intrinsically linked with also a world vision and in a certain way a philosophical or even a religious vision which is incompatible with Christian faith there is no other way to put it um, and if you would follow yoga practices as a spiritual journey towards enlightenment for instance then you would start to clash with the, some of the core principles of the Christian faith. To summarize it, very, very black and white, uh, in, in the oriental philosophy uh, that often accompanies the yoga practices there, um, you are just part of the, of the oneness. And individuality is almost a temporary thing. It's something that... Uh, will ultimately disappear when, you know, it's, it's the image of the drop of water that falls in the ocean. And so the, the, the future that we're all heading towards is that we will ultimately solve, we, we will melt away in this, we will become one of, one with the, with the one. <laughs> the reason that is, that that is incompatible with the Christian message is that, Christianity um, is based on the conviction that every person is unique and is unique in a personal way. We learn this from Jesus who says, you are children of God and you, you may call God Father and he knows you like a father knows his children. And he loves you like parents love their children. And so for parents, it is very easy to understand that your children are not replaceable. Um, your children are not a temporary uh, entity that will ultimately revert back to this unity, this oneness. Um, no, you want your children... To be unique, they are unique. And even though in many respects children and people are the same and have many of the same behaviors and dispositions and flaws and qualities, we are all still unique. There will never be someone like me, nor has there ever been someone like me. Our greatest fear is the fear of death without retaining that individuality. The, our, our greatest fear for death is not death itself, but it's the senselessness of death, that I disappear and that my life and who I am will not matter anymore. People will forget me. If there was ever built a statue of me, 
it will ultimately be torn down. Look at the situation in in the United States and some other countries right now, where the the heroes uh, of the past are now um, labeled as the the the. Um, the abusers, the criminals, and their statues disappear and everybody wants to forget about them. Well, we are afraid of that. We, we know how much we're worth. Um, if you love your children, you know how, how you would give your own life to protect them. How uh, irreplaceable every child is. So even more for God, who loves us like a father, but in a godly way, without all the flaws of, of human parents. Um, so if, if we are children of God and, and God is our father, then we are just as unique for him and, and irreplaceable, uh, like, like, like children to, to, to other parents. So, and what makes the, the message of, of, um, of Christianity so so valuable and I think so worth considering is that when we die, we don't disappear into nothingness and our lives will continue to matter and our individuality will subside, will, sorry, will continue uh, because we have a soul that is eternal and God will, if we want it, grant us eternal life with him. And so forever and ever, I will be me, <laughs> and and there is no end to this, and I'm definitely not called to disappear into nothingness or to become one. It's one one of my main criticisms to uh, Philip Pullman's um, worldview and philosophy, uh, very anti-Catholic in uh, the books of the Book of Dust and um, the. Um, uh, the saga of the looking glass, etc. Um, his idea is that Christianity is oppressive and is uh, telling people fairy tales um, so that they, well, it's kind of the, the old Marxist criticism, you know, um, the, the church is using faith to hide its own, its own uh, crimes and uh, abuse. And, uh, and, and, and the fairy tales prevent people from standing up for, for themselves. So in the third book, um, he replaces the Christian view of death and eternity by his own uh, worldview, which is all about, well, exactly this, disappearing into nothingness. Uh, the sound that you just heard is someone subscribing to the channel. So thank you so much. Uh, for, uh, for, for joining the YouTube community. Thank you so much. Um, by the way, if you are watching this on YouTube and you haven't followed me yet, then click that follow, subscribe button, and click the like button and the bell button and all the buttons that you can find. <laughs> so anyway, what I love is, um, or what I disliked about Philip Pullman's idea is that it is, it is presented as if that is an improvement over over the Christian view of death and eternal life. And I was like, I wouldn't trade my, my faith uh, for anything in the world for, for, for that lackluster, you know, you become just this butterfly who, who falls apart and then disappears like dust in the wind. What, what good is that? <laughs> if, if you are not there 
to to experience it, what's the value of that? It's only loss. So death becomes loss, loss of individuality, loss of 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 what makes your life so special, so so personal. Uh, we 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 know that you know one of, one of the things that happens with abusers like Epstein is that they dehumanize the victims. They don't look at people as uh, as as children of God. They look at these at the victims as tools as objects for their own gratification. So they dehumanize people to use them. They use people and love stuff. That's always the source of sin. Using people and loving stuff. Instead of doing what we're called to do, and that is use stuff and love people. Or even better, use stuff to help people, to love people. Anyway, so far, so good. (laughs) Let's move on. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? So Jamie says, we are all one, but we are still all unique. Uh, That is how I've always viewed what it means to be one in Christ. Yes, definitely. Well, it's like a family. A family can be one, or a country can feel one. We're one country. But it is made out of individual people. That is what makes that belonging together so much better than just, you know, let's just crush, let's uh, take away all the individuality and just create this gooey mass. It's like food. You know, you want it on a plate to have different textures and colors and tastes and Yes, you could put it all in a blender and then let that run for 10 minutes. You'll have the same ingredients, and the, but it won't be edible food anymore. So anyway, maybe that's not the best, the best image, but um, yes, I like to be an individual. Uh, books. I'm currently listening to an audio book, which is great. Um, because it's about Star Wars. It's called Why We Love Star Wars. The Great Moments That Build a Galaxy Far, Far Away. It's written by a huge Star Wars fan, Ken Knapsack. He's also the narrator, so he is reading uh, the audiobook. And it is basically a, co- a collection of some of his favorite scenes in Star Wars movies, Star Wars books, uh, and Star Wars TV series. Um, actually, there was a massive spoiler in like the third chapter, and he was talking about Star Wars Rebels, and he's like, "What I loved about Star Wars Rebels is that," and it's like, "What? What? Oh, I just I did not hear that." <laughs> so I tried to erase it. Normally, when I when I hear a spoiler, I had the same with uh, Game of Thrones when people were were spoiling the last season all over the place. And I was like, okay, I'm just not going to focus on it. Yes, I, I read this, I saw this, but I'm just not going to think about it. And hopefully my hard drive will will forget about it, <laughs> will erase that information and replace it by something. You know, that is not a spoiler. But uh, yeah, I did not expect that to happen. 
it is another incentive for me to go and uh, and and finish watching Star Wars Rebels. I've only seen the first season, um, and apparently it's very good. So this was a spoiler about the story of the girl that is um, from Mandalore, I think, or at least she wears that Mandalorian helmet. Um, but it also made me very curious to see to watch Star Wars Rebels. It was like, wow, okay, that sounds like a pretty good storyline. But I didn't want to hear it. I did not want to know this. Another book that I'm currently listening to that is extremely easy to read and also just well written. I don't know if the story is worth it because I've only listened to the first, what is it, 37 minutes, but I'm already hooked, is the book uh, Pandora's Star written by Peter F. Hamilton. Uh, the book was on sale a couple of days ago on the Kindle store, so I got a, uh, a message from uh, Detlef uh, here in the Netherlands, uh, who is a guy I know from various fantasy uh, events, and we both share a passion for astronomy and that sort of stuff. So he, he uh, often sends me like tips like this. Oh, you got to check it out. It's, a, it's the kind of book that I had never heard of, I'm listening to it. It's about um, Mars, and so there's this crew landing on Mars, and that's all I know. But the way it's written, it's like, oh, I love this. This is just one of those books. It's one of those page turners. It is a very easy read, and so far, so good. I, I'm enjoying this story. I'll let you know what I thought of the entire thing once I finished it. Rebels does get better and better as you watch, Marty says in the chat room. That's good to hear. things in outer plutonia how many times have i told you not to wear your space boots in the house go to shape i mean you can donate my body to science fiction get your suit on we need you so for today's science fiction segment i uh, want to do something a little bit different normally i talk about a tv series or a book that i've read but of course that is not the those are not the only media that use science fiction stories. Actually, one of the best media, I think, for science fiction storytelling is video games. And uh, there are a number of games that are quality sci-fi. And I just want to mention a number of my favorite stories so far. Um, starting with uh, the Fallout saga... Uh, Fallout is a game uh, has has had many incarnations. Um, it is it, it tells the story of a post nuclear uh, world where um, people have been living in shelters underground for decades, and once they emerge into the world after most of the radiation, not all, but most of it is gone they discover that radiation has transformed animals into monsters and that those of 
those people that uh, couldn't make it to the shelters have now created this alternate society, which is uh, in many ways super dangerous and uh, full of, you know, rivaling bands and everything. Um, but the world building in this game is so good, and uh, I'm a huge fan of Fallout 3, um, where it also tells part of the story that takes place underground, so before you go outside for the first time. And so you get a taste of what it was to live in this closed world underground, um, and, and then you step outside, and the world is literally a wasteland. There's also... Uh, um, uh, a first-person shooter version of this uh, called Fallout 76. That is a game that got a lot of criticism when it first came out because it was full of bugs. Didn't have any um, storyline to uh, phone home about. Is that, a, is that a word? Is that an expression? <laughs> it was nothing uh, interesting. Uh, but since, since the game came out, uh, with all the criticism, they've been working quite a bit on trying to make it better. And so from what I've heard, it is already a lot better than it, uh, than it used to be. Another franchise um, that I think does a terrific job telling a, a compelling um, uh, science fiction story and creating a sci-fi world is... Um, uh, Black Me Well, I'm going to talk first about Black Mesa. Uh, Black Mesa is a remake of a game that came out how many years ago? 20 years? Maybe even longer? Uh, called Half-Life. And back then, Half-Life was revolutionary. Um, it used 3D graphics. You were playing a, a bit of an adventure game, but uh, uh, th the whole concept of the game was so innovative it was both an adventure and also a shooter game it had horror elements um and it had a, an amazing cliffhanger um and the original game half-life was so beloved that a number of fans have been working on remaking this and they even got permission i think by the original company Valve, that that made the game to release it and um I've been playing that game on YouTube, at least a few sessions, and it was amazing. It looks fantastic, uh, plays very well, and most of all, the world building is fantastic. I don't know anything about the game. I don't know anything about the plot, but man, do I love it. Um, so that's Half-Life 1, and then Half-Life 2 came out uh, a number of years later, and I've also played that game many years ago, but not having played the first Half-Life, I felt a bit lost, and at one point I got stuck in the game, and I didn't know how to how to continue. Uh, but now I'm playing these games in the right order, so I, once I've finished Black Mesa, I will go and play Half-Life 2. Half-Life 2 also ended with a huge cliffhanger, um, and was then followed by a number of short episodes... Um, but none of them were were real sequels. So you had Half-Life Source and Half-Life 2 Episode 1. Um, what else was there in Half-Life? Mm, not really sure. But there were a few shorter games. And, and But fans have been 
clamoring for uh, for a, a, a true, genuine sequel. And many years, it's like Star Wars, you know, like there should be a new movie, and then you would get these rumors, and they all turned out to be false. Well, ultimately, Valve did deliver, and they uh, made a proper sequel to Half-Life 2 called Half-Life Alix. And that game is uh, one of the most immersive VR games ever made. It's quite expensive. Uh, right now, uh, it's uh, on sale during the Steam sale, uh, 25% off. So uh, normally, I think it's 50 bucks. Half-Life Alix is Valve's return to Half-Life. It's the story of an impossible fight against a vicious alien race known as the Combine, set between the events of Half-Life and Half-Life 2. So, actually, I was mistaken. This is not Half-Life 3. This is a in-between story. From what I've heard, it is one of the most amazing VR experiences ever. Um, the reason that I'm still hesitating uh, when it comes to buying it is that I do have the Oculus Quest, and yes, you can hook it up to a computer with a cable, and then it, it would, in theory, also be able to run uh, Half-Life Alex or Alex, but I currently don't have a personal computer. I'm using my work computer, my editing computer, for all the streaming. So, but... Mm, my, my experience is that uh, games will always go down in price, never go up. They may temporarily go back to the original price, but any scarcity is artificial. And so when there is a sale and they're still making money, even though they, they do 25% off, then you know over time it will be 40% off, 50% off. That's why I'm holding out on so many games, um, including very cool games, but I'm like, well, I have such a backlog of other games that I enjoy playing, so you know, why buy it now? I can have patience. Patience. Must have patience. All right, what other cool science fiction games are there? Uh, I would love to hear your tips because I don't have much time to play video games. Um, but oftentimes I was uh, helped by, uh, by my community uh, telling me which games were worth my time and which ones weren't. Um, another game that has a VR component, but you can also play it uh, just like that on any computer. It's available, I think, almost on all systems except for mobile, is No Man's Sky. Um, no Man's Sky is a bit of a hunter-gatherer type of game where you just visit planets and then you gather stuff and with the stuff you upgrade your ship and your... Uh, but then they, they continue to add story elements to it and multiplayer elements and um, it's a terrific game. It, it's not for everyone. I can totally understand that people would not like it. But uh, it is that it's, uh, for me, it's a very relaxing game. I just love just wandering around and flying around. I actually hate it when I'm attacked by pirates because then all of a sudden I have to get into this, you know, action mode. And if you've ever seen one of my Star Wars Battlefront live streams, you know that I'm really bad at shooting games where too much is happening. <laughs> I panic and, yeah, I just can't stand it. Oh, there's one more series that I need to mention here, which is kind of dystopian science fiction, 
Um, but also so atmospheric and world building is amazing. It's called Bioshock. Bioshock 1, 2, and Bioshock Infinite. All three games are absolutely amazing. There's a bit of horror in it. It takes place in an underwater world, at least the first two uh, chapters of the story. Um, and what I love about it is when you, when you awake in the game, you're almost drowning, and you know nothing. And bit by bit, through recordings and little tidbits, you start to learn the backstory and you realize what has happened to the world that led to the construction of this huge underwater dystopian city. Um, very atmospheric, amazing game, uh, or amazing games. Uh, slightly more on the Just Shoot Everything That Moves is the Borderla Borderlands saga. Also um, takes place in a dystopian post-nuclear war world. Um, a lot of fun, but it's mostly a, a sh what they call a shooter-looter game. So you shoot everything that moves, and then you loot uh, the corpses for you know new guns and ammunition and whatnot. But it, it is very... It, it's just extremely playable. I, I just love to um, run around. Um, very relaxing. Elite Dangerous is on the total opposite side. It's almost a flight simulator. Um, I have to admit that I've never really played beyond the tutorial. I hear it's very good. Everspace, also a game that I've never really launched. Um, Final Fantasy, I'm not sure if that counts as science fiction. There are definitely some science fiction elements. It's more um, more anime type, stu type of stuff. Um, Halo, also available on PC nowadays. Uh, also a great series. Story-wise, not the best, but still serviceable. Anyway, let me know if you have any other tips of uh, uh, PC games science fiction world building in in uh, in video games and i may actually check them out and of course you've got all the star wars games but that doesn't count star wars is a is it that's a that's a whole other universe and with that i think we need to wrap things up because uh we're at our one hour limit thank you so much for uh listening to this episode and if you're a patron of course there is another show for you to look forward to father Roderick to the max and in this week's episode i'll talk about a huge prank that someone played on me and i fell for it hard it was a very elaborate prank i'll tell you all about it in uh in that episode uh, also again as i mentioned a little tutorial on how you can get on my discord server that also is for patrons only i will give you my recipe for spaghetti alla carbonara a authentic italian recipe for delicious pasta i will review hamilton the musical on disney plus i watched it and i have some opinions about it i will also review the comic series spider ham I'm not kidding you. It's a pig dressed up like Spider-Man. It's called Spider-Ham, and you may have seen him in the Spider-Verse or the Multiverse. And I'll continue my series about the altar and the place of the altar in Catholic liturgy. And I will talk a little bit about TikTok, the advantages, the strengths, but also definitely the risks and the dangers of that social media platform. And maybe, you know, who will take the throne when TikTok gets banned in some countries because of the security issues with it 
All right. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you guys soon. Have a great day, a great week, and see you next week. Thank you.